Well, hello and welcome everyone to another edition of Livestream Sunday School. We are back on the air after uh, a brief interlude. <laughs> and we're very sorry about that. That's just one of those things. We cannot control what is going on with uh, Facebook and the use of rights. So it's back to the drawing board for the music we select, apparently, because um, it's uh, obviously been tightened up quite a bit more. We're very sorry about that, everybody. So we apologize for the inconvenience. We are back on, and we're going to wait for others to jump back on with us. Joanna, good morning. Joanna and Charles, good morning. Arlen, welcome back. Uh, we are back here. I am decided to not play any more music right now because of that, and that's really unfortunate. Um, I think... Um, uh, in, upon reflection, we can we'll circle back. We have music we can play that I don't think is going to be blocked by uh, Facebook. We just have to probably come outside of anything that uh, looks like it's uh, there are rights being done, and and it may or may not be the artists involved either. So we have to kind of trust for what it is. Roscoe, good morning. Um, Lynn, welcome back. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that, everybody. I tell you. We can't control it, but uh, it does it does give rise to uh, the use of uh, other platforms as well, too, which is another conversation. Uh, we have been considering uh, using uh, YouTube as a platform uh, for the messages that we are going to be doing broadcasts for. So we'll we'll see how it all goes. We it's all a work in process. So for what it's worth, we just keep trying, and we'll we'll keep trying until we get it right and uh, get the right combination, the right formula. And uh, I appreciate your patience. Good morning. Welcome back, Lorinda. Welcome back. I like my, my bride's note. Facebook kicked us off. <laughs> Amen. And that's how it goes. So just join us. And uh, that other, uh, the other video that is uh, provided, we'll be getting rid of that because it won't have any purpose to keep it. But nonetheless, <clears throat> what we can do, because we are, are going to be kind of... Um, uh, short on time today anyway, we're going to get into the Sunday School after some announcements that we need to make. Ronnie, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Jackie, good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, I've got my coffee. Need some after getting kicked off. <laughs> need some more. Um, no more off. No more getting kicked off, I know. Thank you. So let's go on and uh, do the announcements for today because that's pretty important. We have a triple header Sunday, a uh, triple header for me, uh, as far as that's concerned. But uh, we, um, first of all, wanted to mention that we do have a message available online that will be available uh, immediately following Sunday School. And I appreciate your, uh, Ronnie, thank you again. We, we certainly will continue to pray for you as well. Jackie, we see you at work. Hang in there. Four cups of coffee. All right now. Uh, whew. That, that's a lot at one time. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, we have a message available online. The, the 40 Days After is the name of the message, uh, the message for today. It will be available also uh, at church uh, in Akron at 11 o'clock. Uh, the 40 Days After is the message. It's referring to the 40 days after the resurrection when Jesus was arose from the dead and up until the time of his ascension. What happened during those 40 days, it's really important, and what can we learn from that? Um, as far as what was being done to, uh, the, with the various appearances to the disciples and other people by Jesus during that time. What lessons can we learn from that? Uh, that's coming up today. Um, please remember your tithes and offerings. We have uh, 
business to take care of at church, things that need to be resolved, things that need to be uh, taken care of as far as bills are concerned. Um, we still want to make sure that we're taking care of those issues, so please remember your tithes or offerings if you're going to church today. Please uh, uh, drop them in the drop box in the lobby, uh, in the vestibule. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you are not able to come to church, you're welcome to mail your tithes and offerings to Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. Please remember those uh, and pray over them, of course, as you give them. And the Zoom Bible study. There is a Zoom Bible study today at 5 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. Um, it's going to be beautiful weather today. Good morning, Ann and Larry. It's going to be beautiful weather today, and I, some of us will be able to get out a little bit for a little while and enjoy the sunshine, and uh, some, unfortunately, won't be able to, but we hope that you can join us for Zoom Bible study later today at 5 o'clock. Um, while it's still light outside, we will be sending out invitations for the Bible study uh, sometime between 4.30 and 5 o'clock. So look for those in the mail, in your emails, and we'll be welcoming you online at that point. Uh, so we appreciate your being here. Um, we are going to get into Bible study now, Bible study, Sunday school. Um, it is a Bible study, but it's a Sunday school, really. And talk about uh, another session, session number 12 of biblical inerrancy, um, transmission. No, we're calling it transmission is the name of the study. It's going to be covering. We're going to cover like part one of that to get through as much as this we can. It's not as scripturally heavy as the previous sessions we've had because there's a lot of history involved here and information that you'll need to see about how God uh, just ordained and had all these individuals involved with scripture and recording it and preserving it and keeping it intact. And we'll, you'll, you'll see that he assigned people to do these things and did that in such a manner where, you know, we're, we're talking about, we're not talking about stone ages, right? We're talking about um, the different ways of recording information. Uh, there was such a thing as pen, uh, ink, and, and papyrus, paper, uh, back at that time that to use to record these scriptures. So we, we want to look at that and look at that in greater detail because we want to see how God worked to do all these things and how he pulled it all together for us, and, and that's really what this is all about. It's a good history lesson when it comes to transmission, the transmission of the word, and it has to do with copying uh, the texts and making sure that they were preserved and kept. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. Take a deep breath, slow myself down a little bit, um, and we are indeed back on. Thank you very much um, for those who are looking for us. Uh, we... Um, we appreciate you being here today. We thank you for your patience while we navigate through uh, issues with uh, the broadcast, with the music and all that. But we'll, we're going to circle back and come up with a better plan. Uh, amen. So let's do this. Um, let's go into the word. Let's get into it. Let's pray for God to provide insight through the power of the Holy Spirit as we go through this lesson. Because some of it will be, we will be looking at scriptures, so don't think we won't be, but, but we will look at them just to see, to set this up a little bit and make sure that we are uh, covering this the way uh, the Lord wants us to see it. So let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your presence this morning. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for the instruction, and we thank you, Lord, for showing us 
uh, more now than ever before that we should trust your word, that your word is indeed the word that you have proclaimed to us. To be able to see even the history of Scripture, how it came about, how we have a greater understanding of what it is and who you are as we read it and what it represents. Lord, we thank you for you being faithful to us to show us uh, the wonder of how you go about the things that you do, how you have translated these things for thousands of years for us to recognize who we are and recognize who you are as we read your word. Lord, we know that we cannot begin to say thank you enough for what you're doing for us and how you're teaching us. Lord, help us along as we go forth and read this material and go through the material that we have greater understanding of your wisdom and your knowledge. And we give you praise and thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in transmission. The term transmission, just so everyone is clear as to what that represents, it describes the ancient process of copying Hebrew and Greek manuscripts to preserve them for future generations and distribute them for greater use. Um, this material comes from, I'm going to be remiss if I don't mention it, How We Got the Bible uh, is the by Sid Litke. He is a, has a master's in theology, and he is the one who is presenting this information for us for use today. And, of course, he it's pointed out, you know, back in the day, you know, we, we take a lot of things for granted as far as how we can reproduce material. And we can't reproduce it willy-nilly. Uh, there is no such thing as copy machines back in the day. There's no such thing as uh, lithographs or anything like that. Um, so this was done very meticulously, and it was done by hand. They had to be copied by hand. They were, it was, uh, in that way, they were transmitted. So we have a, different, a number of different ways that this was done, and this is how... We want to look at it. Um, the there were different materials that were used. Turn to Exodus. Turn your Bibles, electronic devices, to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 12. Let's take a look at an example. Now, this is a very interesting uh, v- verse, and I'm going to pull a parallel into you for you for visual purposes. But uh, Exodus 24:12. Uh, Stone was one of the ways that this word was communicated to us, and God is quite clear in mentioning this, that the stone tablets, let's look at this. The Lord said to Moses, this is the English Standard Version, Exodus twenty four twelve. Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Now, this is Lord speaking to Moses. So what is he saying here? If you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments, when Moses went up on the mountain and the Lord provided the tablets of the Ten Commandments, you might remember the visual where it was written by the finger of God, as Moses had mentioned in the movie, where it was just something that was pretty pretty cool for a special effect, for one thing, for a movie at that time, uh, where he is the one that wrote the law, and he wrote it, in such a manner where Moses was able to take that information and take it down and show it to the people. But he, indeed, he used stone and just carved in the stone the instruction. That's one method method that was done. 
It's also mentioned, if you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy 5, verse 22, and this is a reminder of what happened. Um, it's also mentioned the same thing here, Deuteronomy 5, 22. It says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Now that's Moses speaking about how he received the word directly from God. It was written in that manner. And... Um, I'm just stopping for a moment. Marquetta, uh, God bless you. I'm glad that you are uh, going to be going home from the hospital. And I want you to know that we're going to lift you up in prayer and keep you in prayer throughout the day. And I'm going to ask everybody to just make a note of that so that they can make a note of prayer while we continue with Sunday school right now. But uh, thank you for letting us know. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. So we're just seeing that Moses is communicating that he had the two tablets. And there is one more reference in Joshua. Let me let's just go ahead and look at that real quick. Joshua 8, Joshua chapter 8, 31 and 32. Now, you have to understand that um, this is very important for us to see how God was communicating his word to the people through Moses. Um, Joshua 8, 31 and 32 just as Moses, Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered it on burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And we need to see that. We need to see that, that that's indeed how this word was communicated. So we make the conclusion the Ten Commandments came directly from God, and they are included in the book of the Law of Moses. Another main means of communication of this word, or the writings of Scripture, was done on papyrus. Papyrus. Now we, of course, use the word paper for short, but papyrus was not exactly like paper. Uh, it was made by pressing and gluing two layers of split papyrus reeds to form a sheet perhaps mentioned in 2 John 12. Um, and I, I need to look at that again because I've looked at it before and I think I ran past it pretty... 2 John verse 12, because there's only one chapter in um, 2 John. Oh, it's just a reference where John was writing, but he's saying, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper or an ink. <laughs> Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And sometimes it is the way to communicate, isn't it? But when you're recording God's word, we need to make sure that we have it written down. And so paper and ink uh, was certainly pretty important, too. And we also note in Revelation 5, I'm sorry, I'm making you jump around there. Yes, you are. Revelation 5, there's a scroll. There's a scroll, a written scroll, a book. Revelation 5, verse 1, sorry. Revelation 5, verse 1. There's a scroll that is rep representing what is written here. Um, um, Revelation 5, 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with and on the back, 
sealed with seven seals. And so that scroll is a, essentially a written uh, document, we'll call it a document, that is being uh, used at the, time, at the end times. And it's essentially something where uh, Jesus is providing this and, and giving us information. But we're showing that how different things are recorded. And, and so these things that we see here um, are indeed part of all of that. We also have animal skins as a way of recording information. The vellum, uh, calf or antelope, parchment, sheep or goat, leather, cow or bull. These are all ways of uh, recording information. Um, 2 Timothy 4.13 mentions parchment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we'll take a look at that. 2 Timothy 4.13. Yeah. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4.13. These are all English Standard Version verses. Pardon me. Take a drink. Mm -hmm. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. There's all kinds of ways that the word was recorded here. And... To inscribe on all of these different materials that I mentioned, a, var a variety of tools were used, including a stylus, a chisel. If you're going to carve in stone, you have to use a chisel. Um, pen and ink. Oh, pen and ink. How about that, right? Uh, that's what was used back in that time to record God's word. The copying process of the Old Testament uh, was originally written in Hebrew. And it's important for us to even look at that aspect of how it was recorded in the early copying. Now, at first, during the Old Testament era, which is essentially the time frame that covered, is covered in the Old Testament, the only copies of the scriptures were kept at the temple. Um, that's it. And at first, only the first five books of the law were kept at the temple. What are the first five books of the law? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books. That is the uh, is referred to also as the Pentateuch. Um, and for many years, interestingly enough here, this is what we need to see here. And, and God was very, very apt to point this out in his word. Uh, as well, too, as we'll get to in Second Kings. For many years, even the copies of the law, those first five books, were lost until they were found during Josiah's reign. That's something that, when I read that and I saw that, it's like, how come that the word is not being prominently displayed? How come it was tucked away somewhere? How, how come basically it was found in a closet somewhere, for all we know, right? Turn to Second Kings chapter 22. It's worth you spending time and doing your own homework and reading this because I can't read all of 2 Kings 22, starting at verse 8, going through 23.3, but I want to give you some ideas and some snippets here as what of what we found and what we look at here. Uh, and this is um, Hilkiah, and he is indeed um, the one who found, he is a high priest who found, he said to the Shapin, the secretary, Starting at 2 Kings 22, verse 8. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Now, he's the high priest. 
what's going on where he had to go and look for this, right? I mean, it was there all along. That's where it was kept. But why was it tucked away? Why was it not being used? Why was it not being looked upon? Why was it not being referred to? Um, this is a real lesson for all of us that even though we have Bibles in our possession, if we're not using them, that's not going to do us any good. If it's tucked away and if you're not really reading his word, uh, God can't use you in the manner that he would like to because you're not putting the word inside of you to be able to even know how God is speaking to you or dealing with you. And Shaphan the secretary, verse 9, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And what he's going to get down to is that, go to verse 13. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do all to do according to all that is written concerning us. And if you drop down further, verse 17 or verse 16, thus says, and, and this is when we inquired, when they inquired of the Lord, it was said, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of this book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. And so you have to understand that the king of Judah, uh, because he was the one who was penitent and humbled himself before the Lord, that's in verse 19, he won't see all this. He won't witness all of it. Now, let me ask you this question here. It's something that's pretty important for you to understand here. Do you think that God allowed um, Hilkiah to find this word and make that declaration? Because what was happening here was that God was making a statement to his people because they were so lackadaisical about the way they had treated the word. They had not been obedient to it. They were not following it. God was not going to surprise them with this disaster. He wanted them to know it was coming. So I believe that this is how God has speaking to, is speaking to all of us, too, and giving us caution as to how we need to make sure that we're paying attention to his word and not tucking it away somewhere, not hiding it somewhere other than in our hearts. Amen? This is what we need to be doing when it comes to understanding God's truth. We, we have to be a people who seeks after the Lord. The Lord invites us to come and see him, and we usually refuse the invitation, honestly, when it comes right down to it. When the Lord is inviting us to come to him, to see him, seek after him, go to him, to believe in him, these are all open invitations. And it's going to be part of my message today that I'm going to be sharing that you can take the invitation until the invitation is not there anymore. And that's what we have to understand. So he invites us to get into his word. He invites us to be penitent if we have to be. He invites us to humble ourselves before the Lord, as it says in 2 Kings 22, verse 19. He wants us to be do these things that are necessary to show reverence for him, respect for him, obedience to him. These are all things that he wants us to see. Now, this is all part of the biblical inerrancy thing. I think that we need to see that 
he's showing us through this passage here that we as a people, we have to challenge ourselves to go after him and not tuck him away someplace in a corner, not put him on the sidelines. So we need to see this, and that's how it was done. And so when the copies of the books of the law were lost and they were found, that is when the people were awakened and made aware that, you know, this is something to be taken seriously. So let's get back to our Sunday school lesson here to be more accurate. The books of history, uh, Joshua, Judges, and Samuel was in one group of books. The books of poetry, Job, Psalms, and etc. And the prophets, in the prophet books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. were written and gathered together. And they were probably in little groups, right? Just little different sections here. The scribes began to copy those scriptures for use in various synagogues and for private purchase and study. In other words, if, if a person wanted to go and buy those or purchase them and put them in their homes uh, for purchase for private study, they could do that. And that's something that we're doing today, isn't it? You can go to a bookstore, any bookstore, and there will be at least one copy of a Bible there that you can purchase and use it for your own personal study. This whole thing about the early copying of the scriptures, this was something that was done way back when, and it was available in the churches, in the synagogues, and available in the homes for those who could purchase them. And there's a totally separate subject I can't really get into now because it would just be throw us off track here a little bit. What about for those people who were illiterate and could not read? Well, that's a different story altogether, and that's something that we, we, we certainly learn about. It was up to the people who were in charge at the churches to proclaim the word and give understanding as it was being spoken. And that's a separate subject, and that's a separate topic, but we recognize that for those who were able to read, for those who were able to get the information from the Word, they could either go to the synagogue and read it, or they could buy it for themselves, copies of it. But that was by no means the entire Old Testament. It was just sections of it, right? So now let's get into um, the Masoretes. The Masoretes, this is a, a very interesting group of people. Um, it's probably the first group of people, um, they were scribes, and they were around uh, for approximately 500 years, from A.D. 500 to A.D. 1000. Remember, this is after uh, Jesus had uh, been on earth, had uh, risen from the dead, the resurrection up through to uh, uh, the, the uh, ascension. The Masoretic scribes were in charge of the Old Testament manuscript copying, and they used a very meticulous system of transcription and had a deep reverence for the text. They're probably the first ones that we can point to, at least historically, who really were interested in preserving the scripture and making sure that the copies that were being made were authentic to the original writings, the original texts. God used their almost obsessive respect for the text to preserve the text's accuracy. God had to infuse upon them the desire to make sure that that word was being done right. And who says anything that anything other than the Holy Spirit is what would do is do something like that? We have to understand something about the integrity of Scripture. A lot of people try to um, diminish Scripture through not really considering what God can do and what God has done over the years to preserve his word. And God is the one who 
Remember we said before he inspired people to write what were his thoughts, what was uh, being conveyed to us for greater understanding. And we certainly have to believe that he inspired the Masoretes to do the very same thing. They wanted to preserve the accuracy of what was written. They had specific rules on the type of ink and the quality and size of parchment sheets. No individual letter could be written down without having looked back at the copy in front of them. The scribe could not write God's name with a newly dipped pen, lest it blotch. And even if the king should address him while writing God's name, he should take no notice of him. That's how focused they were. They didn't allow for any distractions, interruptions. They took it very seriously. They did not want any issues with copying accurately. There was, they were so meticulous that they counted all the paragraphs, the words, and even letters so they could know by counting if they had done it perfectly. They knew the middle letter of each book so they could count back and see if they had missed anything. These people were very special. The word Masoret comes from the ancient Hebrew word for bond. My good buddies at gotquestions.org has information about the Masoretes as well, too. Um, And it was used to refer to the Jews' obligation to keep a covenant with God. They had a covenant. They had a covenant to keep with God that they would preserve this text. They would preserve their writings. They would follow a process, a very meticulous process, to get it done exactly in the manner that God would have them to. And we have to understand that the original writings, how do they pull all of this together? Because this is again done uh, during AD 500 to 1000. The original individual writings that make up the Old Testament were produced under a variety of circumstances. Some, like the Ten Commandments, were dictated directly by God, and Moses inscribed them on tablets of stone. And remember, he broke some tablets, so he had to go back and replace them. (laughs) So that's something in Exodus 34.1. Other parts, like Job, were written by anonymous authors. And some, like the Psalms, have different authors. And the individual Psalms were compiled to make the book as we know it, the book of, what, 150 different psalms. It's the entire book, right? We are not told exactly who wrote every book in the Old Testament or how those books were came to be included in the one book we call the Old Testament. The Jews called this compilation the Tanakh. Um, it's abbreviated TNK, which stands for Torah, Nevrim, Nevim, and Ketuvim, or Law, prophets, and writings, okay? The law, of course, included Genesis through Deuteronomy. The prophets included Joshua through Kings and Isaiah through Malachi, excluding Daniel. The writings included Psalms, the Song of Solomon and Daniel. The book divisions in order are different from what we find in our Old Testament, but the content is all there. These were the books that were accepted as the inspired word of God, and people felt that it was important to copy these books and preserve them. Amen and amen. Aren't we grateful that we have this word preserved for us even today, after all these years, that we can open the Bible and look at it with confidence and know that God is speaking directly to us through his word. As we've said over and over again, all 66 books of the Bible 
uh, not 66 Bibles, as I said that one week, but even in 60, if you had 66 Bibles in ownership, all 66 books within that, that individual Bible speak to Jesus Christ. Refer us and direct us directly to Jesus Christ. In the days before printing presses, everything had to be copied by hand by the scribes. I know that when I was really young, I used to write down and, and copy things down and, and, and just try to see if I could duplicate what I was looking at, whether it be pictures or words or whatever it is. Because I used to, in another, another uh, era of my time, I used to be a, a graphic artist. I used to like to draw and do logos and stuff like that. And I wanted to see how good I was at doing that and even creating my own after I had gotten better at it. It was all by hand. You, ha you, you have to write those things down by hand. Um, uh, I didn't have a copy machine. Copy machines were, it's not really, it's not your work. It's someone else's work when you're doing that, right? So uh, a copy machine is not going to get it done. And they had to write it all by hand. They had to write it all out. Another important point, the Hebrew language of the Old Testament was written without vowels. This was not a problem as long as everyone was thoroughly familiar with the language. Now, there's a challenge here with that. Because with the passage of time, many Jews did not maintain a thorough familiarity with Hebrew. I don't know how many different dialects there are of Hebrew uh, today. Uh, didn't do research on that, but I can see how there can be uh, an issue with that. Some Hebrews stayed in Babylon after the exile. Others were Hellenized, which means they were raised in the Greek language and culture. Some, of course, were in Palestine, but even their Hebrew was not always spoken. Aramaic was eventually the language of the common man at that point. So, in the effort to standardize the text of the Old Testament, taking into account all of the manuscripts and variants from across the Roman Empire, um, once a reading was agreed upon, the variants were removed. And the scribes began their meticulous work to make exact copies. You have to understand something. There were there was issues at, at some point as this text was being moved back and forth. Sometimes some people would inject their own commentary in there or put something in there. Well, they had to scrub all that out. And so getting those things out of the way... The scribes began their meticulous work to make exact copies. A group of scribes called the Tanaim produced extensive guidelines for producing accurate copies. And around 200 AD, another group called the Amoraim, they're called the Expositors, began preserving and explaining the text, producing the Talmud. The Talmud, you may have heard of that. There were actually two groups of Talmudic scholars one centered in Babylon and another one in Palestine, and their work produced the Babylonian Talmud and the Palestinian Talmud. So the Masoretes were the final group of scribes who came together to preserve the biblical text, and they were copying the text and adding vowels so that pronunciation, and in some cases the meaning of what God was trying to say, was preserved. The Masoretes did not want to add anything to the text itself, so they added the vowels as points combinations of dots and dashes above and below the consonants so that the reader would be able to easily tell the difference between the consonants of the original text and the points that had been added. And that's because of the English, that's because, not because of English, that's because of the language. There were so many language challenges back then, they wanted to make sure that people got back to the original language and looked at 
those extra vowels that were added for greater understanding. Because of the Masoretes' reputation for accuracy, the Masoretic text came to prominence and was generally accepted by Jewish readers as the most accurate. The Masoretes also added additional material, including some variant readings and other explanatory notes. This material is called the Masora. So the Masoretic text is the primary foundation of most of today's Bible translations. It's only about a thousand years old, if you really look at it for what it is. But it preserves the tradition and scholarship that is much older. You wonder, how is that transition taking place? Well, all this was being done, again, after, you know, a thousand years after Christ had been around. And so we have to recognize that it's only about a thousand years old, but most of the texts that we read today pull off of the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text. So we owe them the honor that they have because they were really being meticulous about it, making sure everything was being copied correctly, that this is the text that we are basing what we read now in Scripture off of. And it doesn't mean they didn't write other things or didn't do other things, but we have to understand something. We have a lot of different tools that we use today to have greater understanding of Scripture. We have the Bible itself. We have different translations of the Bible. For example, if you have the King James Version, you're probably going to want to have the New Living Translation to go with that for greater understanding as you read the King James, because that was written in 1611, not that much longer uh, after uh, this Masoretic text was put together. And you also have what? Commentaries. You've got other people who are writing about Scripture to give us greater understanding and insight. These things are all perfectly fine and valid, we have to do what? Seek the Lord for greater understanding as we read, don't we? We have to go back and pray about what we've read. We have to go back and do what? Meditate over what we've read. Is what we read accurate? Of course it is because we believe it and it comes directly from God based upon the previous lessons in our study about how it is all God-breathed. It's all inspired by God. And God, in his wisdom, gave people ability to make sure that his text was preserved over all this time so that we can come back and look at it in confidence and know that what was being written was indeed conveyed by God. And that's what we need to see and understand here as we look at this. And so these existing Old Testament manuscripts, we have actually very few complete or nearly complete Old Testament manuscripts existing today. There are four or five really significant Masoretic manuscripts that are the basis of the best Hebrew Bible available today. These copies were made between A.D. 900 and A.D. 1000 by the Masoretes. And what we're going to do is uh, we're going to conclude this here um, only because when I get into something else here, I don't want to. I want to try and get into it next time around and discuss it because we have the Septuagint uh, to talk about as a translation of the Old Testament, Hebrew Old Testament to the Greek language, um, which was made in the 2nd or 3rd century B.C. Um, and there are about 300 existing copies of the Septuagint. So that was the common, this was the common Hebrew Bible used and quoted by Jesus and the apostles because they lived, what, in a Greek culture. Makes sense, doesn't it? We have to see how these things all tie together here. You have the different languages, the different cultures involved here. And so that's very important for us to see too. 
And although it was written in Greek, the scholars can generally determine that the Hebrew words were being translated in the Septuagint. It provides evidence that the Hebrew Bibles were copied extremely well for all the years between the Septuagint translation from the 2nd and 3rd century B.C. and our best existing Hebrew copies, A.D. 900 to 1000. That's a long period of time, everybody. And yet we're making sure that we understand that God indeed had preserved it and had taken care of it. So we're going to uh, stop here. I'm going to mark it off and make sure that I pick up next time and look further at the additional transmission of this, the word and make sure that we understand that. But go back and take a look at Second Kings again and look at what God was trying to say to the people there about how they need to be obedient. They need to get back into the word and focus on the word. But people were ignoring it. Don't ever ignore it. People weren't paying attention to it. Don't be one of those people. Get into the word and stay in the word and understand that it is his true word that is being conveyed to us. I hope that you can see that. I hope you can understand that. This transmission and how it was transmitted was very important. The Masoretes, a very, very important group of people to make sure that the word that we are referring to today was indeed copied and authentically copied in such a manner where we have God's word truly spoken to us. Very briefly, I had a conversation with a friend of mine about what about all those other books in the Bible that uh, that were written, like the book of Enoch uh, and sometimes some of the books of the Apocrypha that were preserved in the Catholic Bible. Well, it, look, it's all part of history. It doesn't mean that the books are irrelevant, but at the end of the day, the Bible that God put together for us that was uh, given to us through the Nicene Creed and we have this text put together, that's the book that authentically takes us and does what? Points us directly to Jesus Christ. You need to understand that. It's not anything more or less than that. It's really a matter of just understanding that we have to trust that God is the one who is giving us his word, and he is the one who is giving us the words that we need to do what? Make a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think he's successfully done that. I think he's taken care of that. It doesn't make the other books irrelevant, but it does not give them prominence over the Bible or what the God's word says, what his word says. So we have to understand that. A lot of people back in that day, in that time, did a lot of writings. And they wanted to do a lot of writings that were complementary to God, no question about that. But they're just not part of the final texts of the Bible as we understand them. We have to trust that what we have is what God gave us. Do you trust that? Do you believe in that? That's really what it matters here at this point. God only asks us to do what? Come to him and seek after him and believe. And that's really what it comes down to. And I'm going to trust that you'll see that as we get into today's message, the sermon as well, that you'll see that, see how he's working in our lives, and see how he just tells us, teaches us the same things that he tried to teach the disciples as well, too, after he had come back, after, he, after the resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given to us to study your word, look at the mentions that you have of recording your word in scripture and how, Lord, you have preserved it to be the word that we trust in today, that it is indeed inerrant because you were involved in the entire process all throughout history. We thank you for um, the Masoretes. We thank you for their diligence in studying the word and writing it down and copying it with a meticulousness that is uh, probably just without... Um, 
any comparison to anything else that I can ever understand. It's just fantastic how they preserved the word and just kept after it day after day. Not even the king could interrupt them from making sure it was done properly. And it was all done by hand, and it was all because of you. I thank you, Lord, for your presence all throughout history, how you have taught us and reminded us the importance of being in your word. Bless us and keep us, Lord, and we give you thanks and praise. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for another edition of Livestream Sunday School. We appreciate you being here. Um, for those of you who were not able to get back on with us, we will have this available online for you to review. And we appreciate you being here. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you in church, everybody. Good week. Have a great week. Jackie, you too. And uh, we will see you all next time.